The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Well, last week I made a big error. I made a statement saying I was thankful that God allowed me to be in the same passage in the morning and in the evening because it was easier for me as I studied. And I believe in the sovereignty of God, and so I don't know if this is how it goes down exactly, but I really feel like God was like, (laughs) not this week. Because uh, that didn't happen. Um, and studying the passage for this morning, it was a tough passage. It took a lot of studying and a, a lot of preparation. And when I got done, I was like, I don't have anything for the night. And so even this morning, Pastor Matt he, uh, texted me right after service. Hey, what's tonight? I want to know for the songs. I said, well, good luck. I don't have anything. Just pick whatever you want. And so from the time I got home until... The time I came to church, I was locked in my bedroom uh, studying out of 1 John chapter 1. And I, I mentioned that this morning, that that's where I'd hoped to be. And so we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse, well, we'll probably begin in verse 1. And we're going to go to chapter 2, verse 1. Because sometimes when we, when we go through the Galatians or when we look at a lot of uh, sermon series together, uh, focusing in on God's grace. And we're, we're talking a lot about grace versus works, grace versus the law. We have to ask the question, well, how do those work together? Because you can tail off into one end that's just too far, right? Where well, God has saved me and I, I don't have to do anything now. His grace is sufficient. I'm not doing anything else. And that, that's a wrong view of, of what God has done for us through his grace. And And as we've talked about a lot, there's people on the other end who just work, 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 work to try to earn God's favor. And that's, that's bad as well. And so we got to kind of look at, well, how do, how do these go together? And I've tried to do that some throughout different messages. Then another thing that we have to talk about and come to grips with is, is sin in the believer's relationship to sin. And that's my hope for us to see. Tonight, as we as we look through this passage, you know, if we're free from sin, then why do we struggle with it? Do we ever overcome it? You know, can we overcome it? Can we just simply maybe ignore it and not worry about it? If 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 grace has been poured out in our life, can I just not worry about sin anymore? Because I'm living under grace. And so uh, if I sin, eh, big deal. God saved me from it. You know, how, how do we, how do we look at this issue of sin then as a believer? And so as we approach, uh, first John here, John is writing to fight, uh, something that is happening in the church, a heresy that is taking place in the church, Gnosticism. This might have been something you've heard about. They, they believe, uh, flesh is evil, spirit is good. And so kind of the things that happen on earth and the flesh don't really worry about. It's the spirit things that really matter. And so that is what you focus on. And so it started to infiltrate the church in a way uh, where they would come into the church and they were saying, well, obviously Jesus could not have been fully God and flesh at the same time because flesh is evil. It's inherently evil. And so that wasn't possible. And so they started to teach some different ways maybe to handle that and to deal with that. And John wanted to address this within the church. And he writes this letter with a pastor's heart. When John was writing this letter, some would say he's 100 years old or more at this time. He's an old man. 
And he's seen a lot. He's highly respected within the church, within the church circle. And so when they heard that John had wrote them a letter, you better believe they were going to read it. They were going to listen to it and they were going to take it to heart because they wanted to hear what he had to say. And so when we look at first John, I want to read the first four verses as he kind of introduces himself and where he is going. So follow along with me, beginning in verse one. It says that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full or it may say your joy may be complete. In writing this letter, John's purpose, one of his goals is he wants the church to have complete joy in Christ. He wants them to experience this joy. And as the letter unfolds, you see that it's joy really in two areas. One is their relationship with God, that Jesus came to restore them so that they could have a relationship with God the Father. And he wants them to see this. He wants them to understand this. And he wants their joy to be to be centered on that, not on the things of this world. But then also he wants their joy to be full in their relationship with each other as believers. And we see as we read uh, John's letter here, the importance of unity within the body of Christ, not just so that we can make decisions well, you know, we can all agree that it should be this color or whatever, not for that, for our joy, so that when we walk in, we know that we are like-minded together, centered on Christ with his purposes, with his goals, saved by his grace, forgiven by him together. And when that starts, when that stuff starts to get out of whack, you start to have a problem within the church. And all of a sudden you start to lose your joy. Maybe you've been there before. You start to walk into church and it, it doesn't feel peaceful, right? It doesn't feel joyful to be there. And it's because there's dissension amongst the body. Uh, Maybe it's a doctrinal thing or maybe it's some silly thing that shouldn't be worried about at all. But there is disunity taking place there. And what John is saying as he, as he starts off this letter, saying, I want your joy to be full. I want you to experience a life that is completely full of joy in the Lord through Christ. And so then he goes on, and what I really want to focus on tonight, beginning in verse 5, all the way to chapter 2, verse 1. So follow along with me. It says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. 
My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The way we're going to kind of look at this is there's three sections here. John, and if I say Paul, it's because I've been saying it so much in Galatians. John, what he does here is he has kind of three negative statements followed by three positive statements uh, to back it up. And the way that we're going to look at it is John kind of shares the lie that we tell ourselves. He tells us the truth, and then he gives us the answer to the lie. All right, so that's how we're going to try to break it down for us to grasp it in our heads. When we get to verse 5, John says some pretty interesting things that uh, about himself, right? He says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. Now, when John says that, he literally means what I've heard from him, from his mouth. Uh, you know, John could say, hey, you know, I remember that one day I was sitting next to Jesus and we, we just finished eating some fish and we had some bread, and I remember we had some honey that night, and oh man, it was good, and I remember, you know, we were talking, and Jesus interrupted us, and he, he started saying this, like, John could say that. John could talk about that. that. That's one of the reasons why when John writes you a letter, you're like, ah, I, need to know, I need to know what he's saying, okay? He's an authority figure. He's the last apostle that we have living, and so he's, he, what he's telling this church is saying, listen, I heard this from his lips. I sat under Christ, right? I, I heard all of the gospel messages. In fact, in fact, when the gospel writer, it might, it might have been John himself as I'm thinking about it, would say, these are the things he taught us. If we were to write everything, not, not enough books in the world to contain it. John heard that. He sat under all of those things. He had all of that wisdom, all of that knowledge given to him through Christ. And what he wants to tell this church the first thing that he tells them isn't about their sin, which we're going to get to, but the first topic that he wants to talk about before discussing sin is God. And he says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Absolutely everything about God is perfect. Absolutely everything about God is pure. When you think about light, you understand that light reveals imperfections. I've been building a bedroom in our basement and finally getting done, right? Finally getting to the point where it's like, I can't wait to just move them into this room and be over with it. And so one of the tasks that I had was to put some carpet down. And so we had some carpet and we cut it to size and we, me and Amanda were unrolling it out in the bedroom. And of course, you know, it touches the walls a little bit. As you're unrolling it out, it has to. There was no way for it not to. And so we unroll it out. And you know, I'm kind of looking around. I'm like, it, it all looks fine. But then I turned on the light. I turned on the light in the bedroom because we didn't have lights up yet. Well, I, we installed lights. And I turned on the light. And there it was. I could see exactly where we unrolled that carpet all along the nice painted wall that I had just painted about a week before. Was it major? Was not huge scratches. Again, couldn't really see it when the light wasn't that bright. But as soon as that LED light, boom, popped on, I had more work to do. I knew, I was like, I gotta fix that. That's well, just the basement. But I know it's there. And it needs to be fixed. That is an imperfection that needs to be dealt with. When we look at God, the way John is describing God is he's saying, he, he is the light. 
There are no imperfections in him. You're not going to reveal anything that is wrong because nothing is wrong. And John wants this to be stated before he dives into sin because he wants us to see God's relation to sin, that there is none. That he doesn't have sin in him, right? He, 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 a lot of people will say he cannot be around sin, but that's not true because he's omnipresent and so he's everywhere all the time, but he cannot have a relationship with sin. He's not going to be dealing with sin unless it's overcoming it, right? And so in him is no sin at all. And he want, John wants to set up his listeners to see that sin is a big deal. It is a big deal no matter how small it may seem, just like me in that room. There might have been some of you, you walked into that room and you said, a bed's going to go there. No one's going to see it. For me, big deal. It needs to be fixed. I want it to be dealt with. And so for God, sin is a big deal, no matter how small it may be to you. And so after letting us know this, then John would go to verse 6 and verse 7. And this is the first lie, the first truth, and the first answer in 6 and 7. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the lie that we tell ourselves, the lie that people tell themselves is that, yes, we have fellowship with God, but yet we walk in the darkness. Yet we continually sin knowing that we sin. I was thinking about as I was looking this over, well, what does that look like? And I think for some people, it looks like this. They walk an aisle one day in a church. They're drawn by something. Maybe it's an emotion. I don't know what it could be. But they come forward and they come and maybe they kneel down at these steps and they say, Pastor, I want Jesus in my life. And so you share the gospel with them and they say, I accept that into my life. And then they walk out these doors and nothing changes. Absolutely nothing changes. They continue to live their life in sin, uh, they continue to uh, maybe not even go to church, whatever it may be. But when they do filter back in, it's praise Jesus. I love Jesus. I sing these songs. Oh, I love these songs. Oh, I love the feeling I get when I walk into this church building. And then they go out and they love the feeling they get when they walk into places they shouldn't be as well. Right? They, they're playing this game. There's a, there's a false faith. There's a, a false security. And sadly, this is, this is common. I remember how heartbroken I was as a kid here in this church. One of the very first times my parents allowed me to go over to a friend's house within my friends within this church, right? My church friends, I grew up with them in Sunday school and this and that. And then, and then to hang out with them in their basement and the language that they were using, appalling to me. I mean, it really took me back. I really was floored by it. I don't remember what grade I was in, fifth grade, sixth grade, something like that. And just thinking, I thought, you know all the answers. You bring your Bible every week. You have more stars than me on the stinking star chart. But yet, you're talking this way. You're, you're acting this way. See, what it, what it was is they were saying they had fellowship with the Lord, but yet they were willingly walking in darkness. See, some will say that they keep sinning because they're free from sin and that grace abounds. And we've talked about that. And Paul addresses that in Romans as well. I'm going to continue to sin because it makes Jesus look so good of what he saves me from. And 
We know that that's ridiculous. This is crazy talk. That's not how it works. We are saved from sin, so we should not return to sin. I mentioned that last week. A, a dog returns to its vomit, right? That's, that's sickening. That's disgusting. That's not something that you do, but yet people will say, well, I can just go do what I want because Jesus is going to forgive me. His grace is there. His grace is sufficient. And so I'll just keep on sinning. We can't do that. Other people, though, will just play the holy game and they completely lie. They'll come in here and say they're moral, but then behind the scenes, they're not. Now to you and I, maybe they look very moral and we don't know. It's I saw an example in something I was reading and it's exactly right. It's it's the person who's dieting and they lie to their phone all the time. You know, they're supposed to input what they ate and it says how many calories or or how many points it was. And they're like, I won't tell them about the candy bar and I'm not going to tell them about the donut I had with breakfast. And yeah, I had oatmeal, but I'm not telling them about the brown sugar I put on the oatmeal. And then they look and they're like, man, I've got 14 points left. Why would you do that? You're only lying to yourself, right? There's nothing else, but yet that's, that's what we do sometimes. That's what people do in a church setting. Oh, they must be so holy and they play that game. But yet when they go home, the things they watch on their computer or the way that they talk when they get to work, their thoughts and their actions, just that it doesn't add up. And so John would say, this is the first lie that we have fellowship with the Lord, yet we walk in darkness. And the truth is, it says we lie and we do not practice the truth. We do not practice the truth. Now, I don't know if we can go so far as to say that people who do this are 100% equivocally not Christians. I don't know if we can safely say that. Sometimes they're just immature Christians, I think. Uh, sometimes they're Christians who are kind of backsliding and falling away. I, I don't know the heart. I would say most of the time they're probably not Christians. But there, there are times when they, when they backslide. And, and what is happening is the truth of God's word is not being evident in their life. We're not, we're not seeing this. And so John gives us the answer in seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so what we see, John is saying, is as we pursue to live holy, the life that God has called us to as his children, it produces, it produces unity. It produces growth within the church. I just find that so fascinating that that's what he says. If we walk as he is in the light, it doesn't say, hey, your relationship with God's going to be great. It says, no, your relationship with each other is going to be great. I don't know how much you realize your sin affects me. My sin affects you, even the unknown sins. Why? Because my unknown sins that I don't make known to everybody make me angry. They take me off. And so you know how I come across sin to everybody when I'm dabbling in those sins? Ticked off and angry all the time. And it affects you. It has an impact on us. And so as we live holy, as we strive to honor the Lord with our life, we grow closer together. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. John says, walk in the light. What is that? That's, that's God's word. We walk according to God's word. It lights our path. It, it lights up our walkway so that we can see. 
so that we can know where we are going. God is that light source that we must live by. John, in John chapter 3, Verse 21, he's quoting Jesus. This is Jesus with Nicodemus. This is where you get John 3, 16, all that stuff. This is what Jesus says towards the end of that conversation. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. As we obey his word, it becomes clear to those around us who's working in us. It's not, you, you become very, very, it becomes very obvious, Tim's not doing this. This is the work of the Lord in his life as he's serving the Lord. Or, you know, there's no way, you know, that she would be able to do this. On, God is working in her life. I see it. It's evident. She's trying to obey him. She's trying to follow him. And the Lord is just working on her. Isn't it so obvious? And John says, yes, that's how it's going to be. That's, that's what Jesus says even there in John. This is the power of the church. This is what unites us as we strive to live holy lives together. As God continues to work in us and on us, he works through us. And we do it unified together. All right, the second lie, verse 8 and 9. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The lie that we see here is somebody saying, I no longer sin. Since God has saved me, that's not a part of my life anymore. Sin is not there. Some believe in this. There are some who teach this. Christian perfectionism, being able through the Holy Spirit to overcome all sin, to have, to have no sin in our life anymore. I, mean, I think I've told you this before, but I've, I've ran into a guy very soon after starting at Cornerstone who told me that. He said, I haven't sinned in two and a half years. That's amazing. I didn't know how to respond to him because I didn't take him seriously anymore. Because uh, when I was there, he was teaching a class on something. And when he told me that, I was like, well, I'm never asking you back. So enjoy your time here. You'll never be back here because there's no way that you can believe that because the truth of that statement, what John tells us is what? Look at it. If you say you don't sin, you deceive yourself. You're lying to yourself and there's no truth in you because that's not possible. John is very clear here that it is a deception of Satan, that it's Satan who tries to tell us that we can become sinless. I came across an interesting quote. It said, Satan wants to make saints sinners and confident sinners saints. What he meant by that was that in our life, there's so many people who are Christians, but Satan just wants to constantly remind them of their sin. And so he weighs them down constantly with shame and guilt. Always reminding them of how bad they were that day or how they didn't do this and do that. And so he weighs them down, trying to make saints sinners. But then on the flip side of that, how Satan will make life maybe, maybe less tempting to these people when they live their life thinking, I'm pretty good. When actually they're completely lost in their sin. They think that they're saints, but they're not. They're, they're totally lost in their sin, but they think, you know what? Look at him. Look at that guy. That's a sinner. Me? I'm okay. That's a deception that Satan plays out in our lives. 
The problem, though, is if we can live in perfection, even through the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the victor. We become godlike. All of a sudden, we can claim that in our life, and we can let other people know how good we are. But really, the truth is, when we stand before God, when we stand in the light of a holy God, the imperfections of our life become so evident that everywhere in Scripture where we see somebody come before God or fall into God's presence, they fall down as dead. They want to die. They do not want to be in his presence. And it's all because they realize their sin before a holy God. They don't want to have anything to do with that holy God because of their sinful state. And we're talking about people who wrote scripture, not us, not us. We're talking about people who were good, Moses and Isaiah and these people. Confessing our sin, as we confess our sin before God, it proves we know the truth of his word and our need for forgiveness. It just shows that to the Lord. Because look at verse 9. This is, this is a great verse to know and to remind yourself of. The promise of God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a promise we have from God there. If you confess your sin, I will forgive you of your sin. Right? I'll forgive you of your sin. But yet so often we try to deal with it on our own or we try to wash it away. One of the, another good example I saw as I was reading, it's like a scrambled egg and we try to unscramble it back into an egg form. That is impossible for you to do. That is impossible for me to do. It's exactly possible for God to do it. He can forgive you of your sins. In fact, he has a desire to forgive you of your sins. And so the answer to this is to be willing to repent before the Lord, to be willing to fall on our face, to seek the cleansing that only God can give us, to confess those sins before God, knowing that he will forgive, not going to him in a way of saying, God, this is like the 17th time today. Will you forgive me again? The answer is yes. As we honestly repent to him, as we honestly ask for forgiveness, it will be done. And so we can look to him and expect mercy as his children. We look to him and we can expect that that grace will constantly be pouring out in our lives. We have to realize we cannot fix our sin. You cannot fix your own problems, but he can and he will. He will because he wants to. He loves you. He has a desire for that. Well, then the last section, verse 10, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The lie that we see here in verse 10 is those who say I've never sinned, that I've never sinned. Ever in my life. Now, I, I don't know if I've come across someone to blatantly say that to me uh, right to my face, that they feel they've never sinned. I have had people come to me saying they struggle with the fact of thinking kids sin, um, that they would know better or not. And so I, I think we need to understand 
what the Bible teaches about sin and the doctrine of sin and our sin nature. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 5, this is what David would write. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You see, something that David understood and that we have in Scripture is that even from birth, we are born with a sin nature. This sin nature goes all the way back to our first parents of Adam and Eve. It is in us to sin. We are prone to wander, right? We sing that, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. It doesn't take long working in the nursery to figure this out or to have kids to figure this out. They are downright evil. And I say that about my own as well. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. It's because it is in us. We steal from each other. We don't want to share with each other. We always want our way all the time. It is always about our satisfaction. It's always about making me feel good. It's always about giving me the snack that I want right now. And I don't have to teach my kids that. I don't have to teach them that. In fact, it's the exact opposite. I have to teach them, you don't always get what you want. You need to share that toy. You're going to bed now because I said so, and I'm the authority figure here, right? I have to work really hard and diligently. And it seems like if you take a day off of that, you've took 40 steps backwards. Why is that? It's because the sin nature is so strong. It's who we are. You can read your history in the Old Testament. But the problem is, when we say I have never sinned, the truth is, and this is a big statement, it's not that the truth isn't it is us. It's not that we deceive ourselves. Look what it says in verse 10. We make him a liar. That's a big statement. When we say that we are not sinners, what we do is we make God a liar. Now, what would John mean by that? Well, he might have in mind what Paul wrote in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have that in scripture. Everybody is a sinner. If you think different, then you're telling God he is a liar because that is what God has said. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. There is nobody perfect except for one. And John doesn't leave us by saying that. Hey, if you say you've never sinned, you're, you're making him a liar. He doesn't leave us with that because he goes to chapter 2, verse 1. And he says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Okay, that's great. But John, you just said we're going to sin. Yeah, he, he's getting there. Look, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, Jesus Christ lived that perfect life, and thus he can be our advocate. What we mean by advocate, what that means is Jesus is our defense against God's wrath over our sin. That's what he is as our advocate. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, and again, I'm sorry these aren't on the screen, but I just did this. <clears throat> it says, consequently, this is Hebrews seven twenty-five. consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is talking of Jesus. One of the jobs that Jesus is doing right now at this present moment, Jesus in the flesh is with the Father and he is advocating on your behalf as a child of God. He is pleading with the Father over and over again. 
saying, it's my righteousness in their life, not theirs. And so when we go before God, when, when we go to the Father and we seek forgiveness, we are doing that through a mediator. That mediator is Jesus Christ, who is also our advocate. Because without Jesus, you could not pray to the Father. And so we pray through the Son and we say, God, will you forgive me of my sins today? And the only reason we stand a chance in that is because Jesus is our advocate. Sitting at the right hand of the Father, looking at the Father and saying, you're going to forgive him because of me. Don't forgive Tim because he comes to you crying. Don't forgive Tim because, you know, we, we really think he feels bad for what he did today. Jesus, our brother, looks to God the Father and he says, Forgive them because of what I've done. Don't pour your wrath out on him. I've taken that wrath on the cross. I paid that price for his sins. Father, forgive Tim. Forgive Tim today again. And the amazing thing is God the Father does that. So Jesus speaks on our behalf to God the Father through his righteousness. And so because of this, we need to approach our life realistically and seriously. We need to look at our sin and be honest about it and take it serious. Not say, that guy deserved to be flipped off. I'm sorry, it just had to happen. Or to not say, this is one that really bugs me. And maybe you shouldn't be my Facebook friend because I do judge you. Maybe you should pay attention to what you post and where it comes from. Because when I say, oh, where did this originate from? And it comes from somewhere. Why are they on this site? Why are they following these people? You know, or I'll see Christians use language. It's like, why are you saying that? I get it. It's funny and it, maybe it rhymed. But do you think that little sin, because it's funny, God's like, ha, that was a good one. That was awesome. Good move. No. That sin is why his son went to the cross to die. His son at that moment's looking, saying, Father, for, forgive that. Don't pour your wrath out on him. I took that wrath for him. See, sin is a serious thing. Even though we are saved, we still need to treat our sin serious because it is serious. And it doesn't just have an impact on our relationship with God. As I said earlier, it has an impact on the whole church body. On the whole church body. As I sin, it impacts all of you. And I have to realize that. And I have to bear that. And I have to seek forgiveness of that. But it does you too. You might say, well, yeah, but you're the pastor, so it has more of a play. No. No. We're a body. Would the eye say to the foot, oh, I'm more important to you than I'm the eye? Would the foot look to the eye and say, yeah, but you couldn't get around if you didn't have the foot? No, that's ridiculous. We are all just as important. And so it's important for us to do our best to live a holy life that God has called us to so that we can be united together to serve the Father how he has called us to, to actually have an impact on the neighborhoods around us, to actually have an impact on our families and with our friends so that they see this is real in our life. So that our kids can look to their dad and say, 
<laughs> I know my dad, that must be God working through him. Because normally he would have yelled at this point. Normally he would have stormed out. Normally he would have done this, but, but God must be working in his life. I don't know about you, but that's the prayer for me. And I'm not perfect at it by any means. I, I don't claim to be, but it's something we should strive to. And so as we look at 1 John, I hope that we get a little better grasp of what our relationship to sin should be as a believer. And tonight, if you're here and you're struggling with a sin, I would ask you to seek his face, to trust in what it says in verse nine. If you confess your sins, he is faithful. He is just, he wants to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Wow, what a promise we have in Jesus. And so don't hold on to that sin any longer. Don't say, you know, it's not really affecting anybody because it is. It's affecting me. It's affecting the people sitting around you. And it's having an impact in your life as well. And so we need to do our best to try to root those out and live holy for the Lord. Let's bow together. Let's pray. I want to give you a moment to respond to God's word right where you're sitting. <clears throat> to really reflect on your life and just to see, God, where are those sins in my life that I need to be confessing? And I'm sure you already know some of them. And hopefully you'll be willing to confess them even tonight. To take those first steps. And to know that he wants to forgive you in those sins. God, I'm thankful that when I get up here to preach, I don't just have to preach those negative statements. Ah, the truth must not be in you if you don't live this way. Ah, if you think you don't sin, you deceive yourself. If you think you've never sinned, then you make him a liar. God, yet we see the truths behind those. That you have a desire to forgive us of our sins. That you made a way through Jesus, our advocate, our mediator, our savior, to be forgiven. And God, I'm so thankful that we wear his righteousness, not our own. I'm thankful, God, that I, I don't have to strive to, to earn your love or to earn your favor. God, that's a gift that you have given but God, I'm also thankful that you continue to work in my life, in our hearts, to be holy. God, if your word is true, if what you, where our word says you have done, that you have saved us, that you have forgiven us, that you sent your son to die on the cross so we could be forgiven of our sins, that he died and that he rose again. God, if that all is true, then the least I could do is do my best to serve you and to live a holy life. And so God, I ask that you would help us to do that. God, And I pray that as a church, we would be gracious to each other. Yes, we need to be honest to each other, to encourage each other not to sin, to lift each other up, to hold each other accountable. But God, I also pray that we'd be people of grace and to pour grace out on each other, to always be reminded that apart from your saving grace, we're the worst of sinners. And so God, help us to have love and compassion for our church family. Help us to have a love and compassion for the lost that just gives us a desire to share the good news with them that through Jesus Christ, they could be a part of God's family as well. 
Help us to never shy away from that. God, help us to do our best to be on mission for you at work, in the home, wherever it may be. God, help us to honor you with the way we live. God, as we walk out of this building here in a, a moment, I pray that you would be with us. God, I pray that you would give us courage, give us boldness to be the people that you want us to be, to not shy away from the tasks that you have given us, but to gladly go forward and to even face suffering if we must for the sake of the gospel. Give us that boldness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.